Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Live with Certainty. This is episode three, take two. You see, the meaning of believing in Hashgacha Pratis, divine design, that everything happens in an orchestrated fashion, orchestrated by God, for a reason. The meaning includes something like yesterday's class being knocked off air as a result of a power outage caused by a seeming mistake on a construction site that knocked out several thousand homes, including our Chabad Center. And it meant that I have to return to yesterday's class for take two. I don't know why. <laughs> I can't fathom to know the reasons of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. But here's what I do know. Nothing happens by accident. Not only does nothing happen by accident, but all of the tens of thousands of details engendered by yesterday's one mistake were all choreographed. Every single one of them. Including the fact that I'm starting all over again. I don't know why. But I do know that there must be a purpose. And the interesting thing is that the difference between today's class and yesterday's class was a little bit of feedback I got from you, my audience. And I've decided to reframe the information. Same facts, same ideas, different perspective. So let's take it from the top. This is episode three. And in take two, I want to begin with the following preface, the following framing. We've learned that betachen is not an elective, but rather a necessity. You need this. <laughs> I need this. We need this. If we are to fulfill our mission, our purpose, if we are to live life as it was meant to be, we need to learn this. We need to master it. That was our first episode, Necessity. Our second episode, Faith versus Fear, focused on the notion that if it's actually a mitzvah, then we certainly have the ability to succeed. That's a basic premise of faith, not fact. But to me, faith is fact. And my faith tells me that if I am expected to do something, if it's a mitzvah obligation, I have to be able to do it. You have to be able to do it. It is impossible to conceive of this notion that the creator of heaven and earth, who is benevolent and loving and cares about you individually, would make a demand that you can't meet. So if, in fact, this is a mitzvah, it's not just a question of living life best. It's not even a question of satisfying necessity. It's a matter of faith fact that yes, we can. And that brings us to episode three in its second iteration. We've previously talked about the notion that this may be that betochen represents the full development of faith, for emuna, faith in and of itself, does not necessarily ensure that people will behave appropriately. Think of the Talmud statement that Ganva, the thief, as he or she is making their heist, they're praying to God. Now, if they're praying to God, they must believe that God can deliver the goods. <laughs> Why else would you pray if you didn't think it could help? And yet, if you believe that God can take care of you, why would, you, why would you steal? Why wouldn't you rely on Hashem to provide you with parnasa, with livelihood, with sustenance, in a way which is kosher, in a way which is appropriate? After all, God would never make impossible demands. Somehow, faith doesn't translate into reality. And yet, and yet, one can still be called a believing Yid. One still has emuna. 
That is to say, suppose my faith isn't fully actualized. Suppose, suppose I believe in Hashem and I believe in mitzvahs, and I know so many of you do. And yet, it doesn't compel me to fully observe all of Hashem's instructions. Does it mean I didn't perform the mitzvah of emunah? I'm not sure. I've met people who told me, ah, Rabbi, I don't believe in God. I'm not sure. I don't, don't, mitzvahs are not for me. But I'm a Jew in my heart. And I say to them, why would it be so important for you to be a Jew at heart if you don't really believe in mitzvahs? Well, I, I, I believe in the spirit of Judaism. I believe that God cares and we matter and Judaism is important. But, you know, I don't have to really keep the Shabbat or it doesn't matter what I eat. Can I say that that's a Jew who has no faith in Hashem? I really can't. He, he or she does have faith. I always chuckle when people tell me about how little faith they have, and yet they make such extraordinary efforts to be in Shul and say Kaddish. Well, if you don't believe, why is it so important for you to mumble a few words about God, to which everybody says half-hearted amens? Why is that important to you? So people can believe in Hashem, and the faith has to be further nurtured, further developed. Let's be candid. How often do most of us make mistakes? Most of us fall short of expectation. I believe in Hashem. It doesn't mean I never behave inappropriately. And then the question will be, well, if I believe in Hashem, why aren't I doing everything as well as I could or should? And the answer is, you know, life happens. The proverbial Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination. So the notion that this is a part of faith doesn't mean that everybody can be fully expected to actually nurture or develop bitachon. Even if we accept the idea and we base it on the teachings or commentary, of the famous Vilna Gon on the book of Proverbs, in which he suggests that the mitzvah of betochen is one that is all-encompassing. He uses, he reframes the words of King Solomon with the prophecy of Chavakuk, the expression in which we say that Chavakuk, the prophet, came, the he'emidon al-achat. He placed all of Yiddishkeit into the milieu of really one essence, and that one essence, the verse goes on to say, tzaddik be'emunato yichia, the tzaddik will live by faith, but the Vilna Gon inserts the word, v'hu habitochen. That's faith. We use this idea to, to promulgate the notion or try to advance the idea that faith is an all-encompassing mitzvah, but not a specific one. And this too falls short of the full impact of something actually being a mitzvah because friends if it's a mitzvah yes we can you have to believe that we can do the mitzvahs otherwise it makes no sense that God would command us to do mitzvahs if he didn't give us the wherewithal or ability <laughs> he doesn't say it's going to be easy God never made a promise to us that it would be easy he said it's within reach on the last day of Moses' life, he emphasizes time and again that we can. It doesn't say it's going to be simple. Which brought us to the previous episode, episode two, in which we talked about this notion of a commandment that's given to soldiers as they go to battle. And in a broadly speaking way, we framed life as a battlefield. And the challenges we face as metaphorical combat. The drawback to that argument, of course, is even if that's valid, even if on some level life's a battle, you can't tell me that when somebody lost their courage or certitude, when facing an adversary who stands in the way of you're doing something right, that you violated the particular mitzvah that speaks to a soldier. 
You could say that the spirit of the law was violated, but you can't say it's the letter of the law. And whilst we should all yearn and strive to serve Hashem lefnim mishurat hadin, beyond the call of duty, beyond the line of obligation, that's called chasidus. That's called piety. And even if one does not become a chassid, they're still fulfilling the mitzvot. So is betochen more than chasidus? Is it more than the spirit of Yiddishkeit? Does it actually represent the proverbial letter of the law? Because if it does, we can and we must. And that'll be the gist of today's episode, The Steps of Faith. I want to begin by going back to the preface that the author of Shar HaBitachon wrote for the entire book, the book which was named by its translators, Chovat Halavavot, the obligations of heart. The author, in his preface, wonders aloud why nobody ever wrote a book like this. He says, maybe I shouldn't have written it. All of the things that have been written up until this point have addressed what he called Chovat Ha'evarim. The translator frames it as obligation of limb. I put on tefillin with my hands, I give tzedakah with my hands, Shabbat candles are lit with my hand, I walk to shul on Shabbat, I run to do a mitzvah, I eat matzah with my mouth, I can listen to the shofar with my ears, I can grasp Torah with my mind, I can smell the fragrant spices as we take leave of the Shabbat with my nose. These are chovate evarim. All of the works that have been written up to the 11th century dealt with the notion of responsibility, obligation, mandatory mitzvot, addressing the limbs or the realm of action. The Chovat Halavavot courageously charts a new course. He's traveling terra incognita. Before the Chovat Halavavot, nobody ever went there. <laughs> I have to tell you that the remarkable work we're studying, which will soon turn a thousand years old, has remained the classic. Many works like this have been written since. One could argue that all of Torah Tachasidut addresses this very notion that we can change ourselves, that we can not only perform mitzvahs superficially, but we can actually transform ourselves from within. And yet, there's something special about this book that we're only reading in translation. It has still remained the singular primer on developing trust in Hashem, bitachon, in this outstanding part of the book, Shara bitachon. So back to the preface itself. He says, I, I, I asked myself, says the author, and I thought, maybe Maybe the Torah doesn't place this obligation on us to investigate, to look deeper into the obligation of heart. Until Rabbeinu B'chaya says, I reached a position of certitude. I was able to, so to speak, establish Take a position without any doubt. And Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar makes his argument on a tripod, in virtue of three points. Point number one. He says, this is minhasechel, logically speaking, with regard to our minds. He said, If we are to think, that our hearts are not obligated to choose service of Hashem. In the end, if your heart's not in it, your mind's not there, your limbs will not be following suit. Because no action 
can be completely carried out in its fullness, without a desire, a soul-felt desire to fulfill the will of Hashem. That's not Rabbeinu B'chayi's idea. The scripture states it. You all know this verse. It's in the Shema. We recite twice daily. It begins the major paragraph of the Shema. V'yahavta Hashem b'chol levovcha. You must love God with all your heart. What does that mean? It means that the Torah necessitates the feelings in our heart. Clearly, we have to serve Hashem as it's written, le'avdo b'chol levavchem. We're expected to serve Hashem wholeheartedly. And if it's not the mitzvot that govern our relationship with the Almighty, but the mitzvahs that govern the way we behave towards others, do you not know that right smack in the middle of Leviticus, where we hear about mitzvah after mitzvah after mitzvah of how we treat somebody else, the Torah comes and says, Rashi says, this is the Klal Gadol. This is the great rule of all the mitzvot, like seeing your adversary's donkey faltering and being kind and compassionate and helping him load things up. The Torah actually expects you to love your fellow. The Torah also, when it speaks of generosity, caring about somebody else, doesn't just say, don't be close-fisted, don't clench your fist, but the Torah first says, don't close your heart. Be open-hearted, which will lead to you being open-handed. Do not harbor hatred or a grudge against your fellow. And finally, the words of Moshe Rabbeinu, you got to talk to talk. you got to walk to walk. You also have to feel it. And so Rabbeinu Bachaya says, it's no question. From the scripture itself, it's clear. If we aren't there in a heartfelt way, our actions will never be proper and fulfilled. The next point he makes is the oral tradition. And he quotes a number of salient statements made by our sages. For example, Rachamana libaboi. Hashem wants your heart. How do you feel about this? Or the words of our sages with regard to restraining ourselves from behaving inappropriately, it is our eyes, but more importantly, the desire or craving in our heart left unchecked that will result in the transgression of Hashem's mitzvahs. How often do we do the wrong thing because we wanted it, because it looked good, because it was pleasing to the eye? It's so interesting that the very first sin is preceded by the word, it was nechmad le'enayim. It looked good to the eye and the heart wanted that forbidden fruit. Not much has changed in 5,781 years. This, says the author, is clear proof. Shaha'iker, shaya, halev, v'haguf. When it comes to mitzvah actions, it's a partnership. A partnership between the corporeal, material body and the emotions that reside in the heart. And the last point that Rabbeinu B'chayi makes is that there are mitzvahs which can't be carried out in a corporeal or material way. They're only fulfilled in the heart. An example of these mitzvahs, he says, Yichud Alekim. A consciousness, a oneness about, oneness of God, pardon me. That's really how we explain the mitzvah of faith. Yichud Alekim, freely translated, means intelligent faith. A mitzvah like Yira, talked about this in great detail in previous episodes. The need for us to revere Hashem. It's a mitzvah. <laughs> 
It's a mitzvah that has to be fulfilled in the realm of emotion, not simply by following instructions. The mitzvah of Ahava. We're commanded to love Hashem. The symptoms of that love are described in detail. In fact, Maimonides, Rambam in the book of Mitzvah says that if you love Hashem, you want everybody else to love Him too. Maimonides talks about the notion of Jewish outreach as an expression, a proof that you actually love Hashem. But the mitzvah isn't the outreach. The mitzvah isn't the caring and sharing of spirituality. The mitzvah is love. And my friends, the next word is crucial. Vahabitochen. The notion of trust. Rabbeinu Bechaya identifies in his Hakdama, in his preface to Chovat Halavavot, he identifies Betochen as being separate from Yichud Alekim, which is the mitzvah of faith, separate from the mitzvah of Yira, which is the mitzvah of revering Hashem, although it is clear that one who doesn't have trust would be deficient in his or her faith. It is clear that if you don't have trust in Hashem, that your Yira is incomplete. But Rabbeinu Bechaye goes further. He calls Betochen a mitzvah unto itself. And fascinatingly, he includes the mitzvah of Parisha, separating yourself from unnecessary luxury, from indulging in libido and the fulfillment of sensual pleasure, self-gratification, which is unnecessary. He counts that as a mitzvah. This is a very important point, and I'll come back to it later. What is clear to us is that Rabbeinu Bechaya saw the notion of betochen as an actual mitzvah. Where did he get that from? What mitzvah do we fulfill when we trust Hashem? And that's important to know, my friends, because (laughs) if we can actually prove it's a mitzvah, then I know that I can achieve it. I know you can achieve it. I know we can do this together. I know it's going to be very challenging. This may be one of the most difficult mitzvah to fulfill. It may also be the most important mitzvah we'll ever fulfill. For if we get this right, everything else will fall into place. After all, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar did tell us right in the beginning of his magnum opus, the Chavis Halvavis, right in the beginning of Shara Betochen, this mitzvah is Masha Tzarech Yeser Mikol Hadvarim. You need this more than virtually anything else. To the person who wants to serve Hashem. So the balance of today's class will for the most part be the demonstration of what mitzvah is betachem. Let's begin our journey, our search on the pages of the Talmud. Mesechet Psachim, tractate Psachim, page 113. The Gemara quoting a teaching in the name of a whole slew of different sages states, Minayin she'ein sho'alin bekaldiyim. How do we know that one is not supposed to be asking the kaldiyim? We'll soon see what that means. Shenemar, for it is stated in the Torah, Deuteronomy 18, verse 13, Tomim im Hashem You must be perfect, wholesome, with Hashem your God. Rashbam, the major commentator in this part of the Talmud, says, Kaldiim, Baliov, the practitioners of a particular form of a cult known as Ov. I'm not going to go into that. I invite you to go to Chabad.org and visit the series on the mitzvahs. There is one day. In the Sefer HaMitzvahs, we spend focusing on a whole bunch of different practices of the occult that are identified by the Torah as wrong, inappropriate, and forbidden, and Ov is one of them. Rabbeinu, Rashbam tells us, Kach Pirush Rabbeinu. That's what our master, he refers here to his grandfather, Rashi says. And with the greatest of respect, Rashbam says, I'm sorry, I don't see it that way. I can't see it that way because the Torah clearly says, Don't turn to the ovot. The ovot are plural for this particular form of the occult. So if the Torah says, Don't turn to the ov, 
And now the Gemara is saying, how do we know that you don't turn to the Ov, to the practitioner of this occult? It, the Gemara should finish off. It says, Altifnu el ha'ovot, but it doesn't say that. It says, Tomim tia. You should be perfect or wholehearted with Hashem Alekecha. Rashbam makes a very strong point, and he says, Kaldiim can't be Ov practitioners. It has to be something else. Va'anishomati, what I heard. It doesn't say where he heard this from, but from his teachers. That this refers to Chozim Bakochavim. Those who look into the stars. The practice or discipline of astrology or horoscope. V'chein Iker. Rashbam says, in my opinion, that is the primary way to understand the words Chaldeum. There are those who defend the position taken by Rashi. Interestingly, it's responsa that's attributed to Nachmanides, although we don't know if that's necessarily the case. And he says, Altifnu el ovot would mean, don't, so to speak, turn to or follow. But how do we know you can't even ask? Can't even ask because Tamim Tia Yimashem Alekecha. Whether this is seeking out the horoscope or going to the practitioner of a particular form of the occult, the point would be this. Why would people request of those who can supposedly see the future, what's up on the silver screen? Where am I going? What, what do you see in your crystal ball? Read my palm and tell me tomorrow. Because they want to be able to go forward with certainty. They want to live with certainty. They want to know what's up ahead. I like to know what my schedule is the day before. I can prepare. One of the most challenging things is being thrust into a situation with no preparation whatsoever, and you don't know what's coming at you. It can be exhilarating, thrilling, and also very challenging. Why live that way if you don't have to? The uncertain brings people fear. Lots of people have a fear of the unknown. Hey, I can visit that tarot card reader just down the block and he or she will tell me what the future brings and I can shield myself, prepare myself. That's not trust in Hashem. That's trusting the fortune teller. In other words, this mitzvah says you're not allowed to ask or seek advice in that sense. Rather, be wholehearted with God. That seems to indicate the notion of betochen, trust in Hashem. Trust in Hashem. Don't look elsewhere. Leave your life, your future, your reality in the trusted hands of the Creator. Nachmanides, Rambam, in the 12th chapter, forgive me, the 11th chapter, of Hilchas Avodat Kauchavim, where he talks about a variety of occult practices and spells out how they are prohibited by Torah, makes a fascinating statement towards the end of this chapter. In Halacha Tazayin, in subsection 16, he says, and lest you think these are wise and effective ways to find out your future, but the Torah prohibits it, so I can't go there. It's like saying, we don't believe that non-kosher food isn't nutritious. It may be very beneficial for you in a material sense, but the Torah prohibits it. It's got lots of iron, lots of protein, but it's prohibited, so I won't eat it. The fortune teller, they can really help me. Ah, oh, shucks. God doesn't let me. Rambam says, don't think that. The Rambam, with his rational approach, says, they're all lies. It's all false, he says. These are ways that people were tricked into following soothsayers, being built out of their wealth, and creating a false sense of trust. Other people to get to follow them. 
We ain't royally Yisrael, but it's not appropriate for Am Yisrael. We shouldn't be fooled that way. We're supposed to be chachamim mechukamim, the sharpest of knives. We're supposed to be really wise, a wise and discerning nation. We shouldn't be following havolamelu, this vacuous, empty kind of pursuit. Don't allow your heart to ruminate and say, well, there's got to be some value, some virtue, even if it's prohibited. How many people sadly think that actually this has something to offer them? The Rambam says clearly that despite the fact that many peoples may believe in this, anybody who believes in the veracity of occult practices or horoscopes in astrology. He thinks that they represent a truth or a wisdom. But the Torah prohibits it. The Rambam says these are fools, feeble-minded individuals. They don't have, they don't have it together. They don't really have a handle on life in an intelligent way. Wise people. People who've got their wits about them. Know with clear proof that all of these things that the Torah prohibits are not things or ideas or practices or disciplines of wisdom. Rather, they represent nothingness, emptiness. So why does the Torah prohibit it if it represents emptiness? Rambam says, That's precisely why the Torah comes back after telling you don't do A, B, C, D, various forms of the occult, of and Yidoni. The Torah comes along and says, Don't be a fool. Instead, be wholehearted or perfect with your God. There's a fascinating edited sicha, a talk from the Rebbe. It's found in the 14th volume of the Kutta Sichas, on Parsha Sheftim. The Rebbe delves into this Rambam and he says, from the words of Maimonides we can gather, and I quote, the meaning of Tomim Tihia, the meaning of being perfect or whole, wholehearted, means Shlemutadat. It means to have your mind intact. <laughs> Not to be so to speak, out of your mind or having your mind in pieces. It is understood, this is what we call an incorporative mitzvah, not a specific mitzvah, an all-encompassing instruction or commandment. We should be tomim bedas. We should be intelligent, wise, not foolish or feeble-minded. This includes really not just abhorring the practice of the occult and avoiding it, but rather in a certain sense it is kolel kiyum kol hakadish baruchu. Wise is the way of the Torah. To nurture, to culture, to, 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 to curate and to develop a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth, that's a wise thing to do. How does that result in a relationship with the creator? I don't know. I don't have to know. I might know what's appreciated by a child or a grandchild, or a child who's not related to me, but I know what that child might like, and should I want to have a relationship with that child, I need to figure out what the child wants. Should I want to motivate or stimulate the child, I need to understand the child. <laughs> Mind you, to have a relationship with people around you is difficult. And the first thing that you want is knowledge. You need to know what they're actually looking for. You need to understand your audience. Then you can please them. I don't have to understand why that's meaningful. I have to know it's meaningful. If I know what they want, well, then I can be of service. But what if that doesn't make sense to me? What if it's not the way I see things? <laughs> enjoy your relationship with yourself. If you want to have a relationship with others, you need to know what others want. You want to have a relationship with God? 
I know I do. Well, then, why don't you ask God what he wants? Instead of creating a God in your own image, instead of self-worshipping, worship of God means we find out what God wants. <laughs> There's a video out there of something I've done more times than I can count. To speak to uh, these Catholic schools that up until COVID used to come here on a regular basis. And I talked to them about the seven Noahide laws. And I make the point of illustrating that a mitzvah, a commandment, is about a relationship with the Creator. And that relationships have to be built on the object of our relationship, not ourselves. I ask them a funny question. I think it's funny. I say, how many of you celebrate Christmas? And they're all giggling, like, what do you mean? Of course we celebrate Christmas. We're all Christian. We're, they're, in a, they're in a Catholic school. I say, that's great. That's great. So tell me, did you ever get a gift you didn't like on Christmas? And then they giggle more. And they, you know, different children, some of them will start to tell me about the gifts they didn't like. <laughs> it's all just a ruse. I'm drawing them in. And then I'll make the simple point to them. I said, well, what's the guarantee that the person who loves you, who cares about you, who bought you that gift, won't do it again? And there really is no guarantee. These are gifts that came from parents, grandparents, siblings. You'd think they know you. Yeah, they know you, but they didn't know you that well. I have yet to meet the person who told me they got a gift they didn't like because their relative wanted to ruin their holiday. So these people projected, imagined. And I asked them the simple question. If you don't know what your own relative likes or wants, how could any of us purport to know what God wants? And the answer, <laughs> the answer is that if God wants us to have a relationship with him, he'd have to tell us how. He did. It's called the Torah. He told us how. So Rambam says being whole-minded is understanding that doing what God wants is going to earn you a relationship with the Creator. Doing what you want is going to earn you a relationship with yourself. How many people tell me they're so spiritual? They're, they, they love to watch the sunset, the ocean, hug a tree. So that's great. Who do you expect to be having a relationship with by doing these things? And they tell me incredulously, well, God, of course. And I'm like, why? Why do you think God wants you to hug a tree or watch the sunset? These make you feel good. It's not about us feeling good. It's about what God wants. And Rambam therefore says, the logical thing to be tomim bedas, to have your wits about you, is to understand this. To recognize, to appreciate that in order to have a, create, a relationship with the Creator, I need to do what the Creator asked of me. And then, of course, to marvel at the notion that an omnipotent and infinite Creator allows a finite, tiny, and that's got to be the greatest understatement in history, tiny creature like you and me to have a relationship with Him. It does boggle the mind. It's not something we can really understand. But to me, may das understand that Hashem allows us to do this. But as Rambam just told us then. Rambam's told us that it's not really a mitzvah. The words are at best an overarching commandment. Clearly the Rambam, as Nachmanides and others point out, would understand this Gemara. How do you know that you shouldn't be seeking out the advice of your astrologer or horoscope expert. How do you know because it says Shenemar, because it's stated Tom that Gemara would be what we refer to in Talmudic lexicon and Asmachta. The Gemara is buttressing its statement based on a verse that doesn't specifically address this, but as the Rebbe points out, would address all of Torah mitzvahs. So it's not really a mitzvah. The famed 19th century scholar who spent years poring over the poem written by the greatest of the Gaonim, Reb Sajigon Yaviruchim, Fischl Perlov, in his magnum opus, his, his incredible, I mean incredible, work on the poem of a Gaon to develop what is and isn't a mitzvah, makes it very clear that the Rambam would have to believe that the words of this Gemara are an asmachta ba'alma, up 
Pashte Dekra, the simple reading of this verse, Enoelo Kididarshinan Bisifri, is only to be understood as it is elaborated on in the Medrash Halacha on the book of Deuteronomy as broadly speaking, not a specific mitzvah. He comes to the conclusion, Da'at Rabbeinu Hagon, the opinion of our master, the Gaon, referring to Reb Sadi Gaon, Vadai is certainly like this. This is the opinion of the Rambam and so many others. Not a mitzvah. This is further, uh, perhaps, augmented in the words of the Trumas Hadeshim. Rabbeinu Yisrael Iserlin, an early Rishon, a codifier, who wrote his work called like the ashes of the altar, very humbly. The work is comprised of responsa, sheilot, chuvot, and then he has what he called rulings, paskim, ksavim, manuscripts. In the 96th chapter, he says, it was asked of me whether a person who is struggling with ill health could seek the advice of occult practitioners. And if they would do this, if they would visit somebody who claims to see into a crystal ball or who can read their palms or, or tarot cards or tea leaves, is he actually violating a commandment in the Torah? The Trumas Hadeshan says, we don't find an overt mitzvah. This is not an actual transgression unless you go to Ov or Yidoni which are specific practices of the occult, because the Torah says, don't ask the ov. As I mentioned, I have a class in the book of mitzvahs where I go into these details. However, sha'or hamachashvim, the other forms of occult or witchcraft practices, are not technically included. He says the Torah is very specific. It doesn't say don't seek guidance from the occult. It says, don't go the way of Ov. Don't go the direction of Yudoni. Of course, of course, this doesn't mean it's permitted. It just means it's not a direct infraction of the Torah. There are many things which we, the Jewish people, abhor and abstain from. It doesn't make it an actual violation of a technical mitzvah. The Trumas Hadeshin finishes Simen Sadik Vav with these words. Ein kan, they would only be here, iser asei, a prohibition of a positive instruction of the Torah, of tamim tia. Oh, does Trumas Hadeshin indicate that this is a positive mitzvah of tamim tia, be wholehearted with Hashem? No. Kiddikos of Rambam, as Rambam writes about this. The ain iser mamash. It doesn't mean an actual transgression or prohibition, and clearly it doesn't mean the actual technical fulfillment of a specific mitzvah. What then could Rabbeinu Bechayim mean when he says there's an obligation for betachin? Well, my friends, the Rambam and others believed there wasn't. However. Ramban believed there was. Rambam famously authors a book called Sefer HaMitzvot, in which he lists what are the 613 mitzvot. Ramban has some disagreements. Some of the things that Rambam included as an actual technical mitzvah, Ramban says, no way. Not the fulfillment of an actual mitzvah. Nice, good, appropriate, Yiddishkeit affirming, faith fulfilling, not a mitzvah. <laughs> Here is one that will fascinate you. We're actually going to talk about this in future episodes. Davening, prayer. Rambam says it's a mitzvah. It's number five of the positive mitzvahs, according to Rambam. Nachmanides disagrees. He says it's only a mitzvah to pray when you're in trouble. Otherwise, he says it's the right thing to do, it's the appropriate thing to do, not an actual obligation. In fact, we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Now, this would put Ramban in an uncomfortable position because Rambam spells out 
precisely 248 do's, 365 don'ts. If Nachmanides will disagree and say, no, 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 that's not a mitzvah, then he'll be hard-pressed to explain what is the mitzvah or how do you come to the number 248 do's and 365 don'ts. That is to say, the Talmud makes it abundantly clear that we have a tradition, going back to Moses, that there are 613 mitzvah. Nobody argues about what is expected of a Jewish man or woman. Virtually all, all of our sages told us to live the same way and lived in the same fashion. The question, though, became, so what is specifically identified as a mitzvah unit and what is ancillary or just a diversion, a detail of a mitzvah? That was a question that the codifiers, they struggled with this. Rabbi Sajigoen wrote a proverbial roadmap to identify the 613 mitzvahs. Rambam does it, and so do a number of others. So if Ramban disagrees, Nachmanides disagrees on what is a mitzvah, how will he get to the magic number? So he wrote a list. He called it Shichat Ha'esen, the forgotten positives and the forgotten negatives. In Nachmanides' forgotten mitzvahs, meaning what Rambam didn't include, but Nachmanides does, the eighth mitzvah is Shenitztavinu, that we were commanded, lihiyot levavenu tamim imo, that we be wholehearted with God. Wholehearted with God. What does it mean to be wholehearted with God? As it states, tamim tiyeh m'shem alokecha. Deuteronomy 18. So it says it, you have to do it. What does it mean? He says, sheniyached levavenu, a love that we direct our hearts singularly only to God. We're not talking about faith now because faith was something we achieve in our consciousness. Ah, but faith actualized emotionally is not called emuna. That's right. It's called betochen. As we discussed in our first episode, there's this notion of Maimonides taking a very rational or intelligent cerebral approach where his son Rabbi Avram took a more emotional approach where Maimonides focuses on IQ Rabbi Avram focused on EQ and the EQ or emotional quotients of faith is clearly spelled out as bitachon trust in Hashem trust in Hashem means I don't just know theoretically that God knows what's best for me I feel it I can know something and be apprehensive, be fearful, be uncertain. I know it in my mind, but I don't feel it. When I have betochen, when I have trust in Hashem, it means I feel it. I feel it in my heart. It's exactly what Nachmanis is talking about. Shenamin, that we should believe, shehu levado osa, that he alone is the singular cause. Only God makes things happen. Well, if this is about knowledge or awareness, what makes it different from faith, if not the fact that it resides in the heart? In other words, lo nivtach, we don't rely on hovre shomayim, but the word nivtach, secure, security, or relying, trusting, has a same root as the word bitachon. Don't trust the astrologer. Don't trust the fellow who read your tea leaves or your horoscope. Trust God. But I don't know what tomorrow brings. God didn't tell me. That's right. Do you believe that God loves you? You should. Do you believe God cares about you? You should. And if, and if God loves me and cares about me, He's going to do what's best for me in a way that I can know and appreciate. That's betochen. That's trusting Hashem. That's living with certainty. This is all about learning how to trust. 
Nachmanides goes on to develop this idea and he brings a number of verses that emphasize do not become fearful. Fear is in the heart. Don't become fearful from the signs of the heaven, from blood moons and eclipses, from the strange movement of the stars. Altechatu. Do not be afraid of oto tashamayim, of the proverbial signs in the heavens. Nachmanides quotes the Gemara we just read earlier from Mesechet Psachim, page 113. How do you know? She'en sho'alim dovermin akaldiyim. And what are Kaldium? Like Rajbam, he says stargazers. We know we can't ask the Ov. The Torah says that. But now the Torah is giving us an inclusive commandment, a positive mitzvah, which is betochen. And as a result of trusting in God and God alone, because that's the meaning of trust, my friends. If I trust, I trust fully. If I trust you kind of, a little bit, 50%, that's not called trust at all. And so, don't get involved in Melechah Sakichofim, he says, in the horoscopes and astrology. This is irrelevant. It is forbidden for a Jew to seek out guidance from these kinds of sources. Because that betrays a profound sense of trust in the Creator. Nachmanides says, isn't it fascinating that our father Abraham, the first Jew, was told precisely this. When Hashem comes to proverbially cut a covenant, to make a Brit with Avraham Avinu, as is detailed in Genesis 17 in Parshas Lech Lecha, Hashem says, Walk before me and be complete, intact wholehearted. And because it was Father Abraham who merited to become the founder of our faith, the first Jew. And because Avraham Avinu was concerned about what the stargazers had predicted for him, they said he would never have children. Here he is, a big boy, no children, at age 75. And Sarah wasn't much that much younger, only 10 years younger. Our sages say in Mesechet Shabbos, the Gemara says it in page 156, side A, and Rashi quotes this. Hashem said, Transcend that horoscope thing. It's got nothing on you. That's the mitzvah. The first Jew. Nachmanides says, Why didn't Rambam include this as a mitzvah? He says, I don't know. He doesn't agree with Rambam. He says, Rambam saw it as an all-encompassing general mitzvah, as we've described. Rambam clearly views the Gemara, as Rabbi Perlau says, as an asmachta. But Rambam doesn't. And guess what, my friends? The fascinating thing is that Ramban believed it was a mitzvah, kedoshim tiyu, to avoid the indulgence, overindulgence of materialism as a mitzvah, Rambam does not. If you remember, I pointed out to you, I said that when Rabbeinu Bechaya talks about the obligation, the obligation of betochen, the very next thing he says is v'haprisha min hamoisris, avoiding unnecessary excesses. That's the opinion of Nachmanides. I would like to humbly suggest to make the supposition the author of the Chovat Halavavot believed, as did Ranban, had the same approach as Nachmanides, and therefore he said it was a mitzvah to have betochen. And if it's a mitzvah, it's not just obligatory, it's possible. It has to be possible. It's not just the fully developed detail of a mitzvah, it's a mitzvah in and of itself. And as we established in the previous episode, if it's a mitzvah, we have to be able to do it. We just need to learn how. Rabbeinu Yoyna writes in his Sharei Tshuva, Gate 3, Chapter 17. He says there are 
levels, virtues given to us within the framework of positive mitzvahs. And he says, one of them is choice. It's a virtue. It's a gift we were given. We have the ability to choose rightly. It's an obligation. It's a responsibility we have. That's the meaning of choose life. He says we have the virtue, the gift, the obligation to amass Torah knowledge. We have the virtue, we have the gift and obligation to emulate God. And then he says we have the gift and the virtue of developing perfect trust. Because it says, Tomim, Tihiyah, Im Hashem Alekecha. Rabbeinu Yonah here seems very much to corroborate with the words of Nachmanides. And he spells it out clearly as Bitochon. In the 16th century, there lived an incredible Jew in the city of Tzfat. His name was Rabbi Eliezer Ezkori. You know of him although you may never have read his magnum opus, Sefer Haredim. You know of him because he wrote one of the most popular liturgical poems in Jewish history, Yedid Nefesh. Anybody who knows anything about liturgical songs has got to know Yedid Nefesh. It's got half a dozen tunes that were written for it. In many, many communities, it is sung on the onset of Shabbat on Friday afternoon. Yedid Nefesh was written by Rabbi Eliezer Ezkari. He wrote a fascinating book of mitzvahs called Sefer Charedim. I know Charedim is not very popular in the Western world today. Chored means to be in awe. It's a full development of to be in awe, to tremble before Hashem. Sefer Charedim is about how we can be in full awe, full awe of the responsibility that Hashem has given us of our destiny as members of Am Yisrael. The Sefer Haredim did something extraordinary. Never before had anybody enumerated mitzvahs as they apply to a particular body part. And when it comes to the body part called the heart, the Sefer Haredim spells things out. In fact, it's the first chapter of it. In that, bar, in that, that chapter, speaking about the responsibilities of the heart. Chovat halvavot. He says... Shleimut habitachon, perfect trust, full trust. Mitzvah shenit is the second mitzvah that is attached to the heart. The first one, he says, echoing the idealism of Rabbeinu Yonah, is free choice. That's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to choose right. Get informed and make the right choices. Ignorance of the law is not an excuse. I would have chosen appropriately, but I didn't know. Well, educate yourself and then make the right choice. And the very next mitzvah, mitzvah shenit, the Sefer Haredim spells it out clearly. He says, calls it the second mitzvah attached to the heart. Tomim tiye im Hashem lokecha. Be wholehearted. Rabbeinu Eliezer says, I'm not imagining this. I didn't read into the words of Nachmanides. The author of the Sefer Haredim understood Nachmanides exactly so. He quotes our Gemara from Masechet Pesachim. And he says, From this we learn. Listen carefully, my friends. What I'm about to tell you is of cardinal importance. From this we learn the mitzvah livtoach bo yizborech. It is a mitzvah, an instruction, an obligation to trust in Hashem. Bechol lev, with all our heart. If you trust in God and the horoscope, you're not really trusting God. Trust me, says God. Leave it in my hands. If you trust somebody, but then you keep asking, are you going to take care of this? The person will say, do you trust me or not? Why do you keep asking? Why do you second guess me? God says, do you trust me? We should say yes. The mitzvah is to trust Hashem, the chol in yonei ha'olam, in everything. 
don't just trust God that this is probably best for me, even though I really don't appreciate it. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But if God said it must be the right thing. But in fact, trust in God has to saturate or permeate every iota of our life, every iota of our existence. That, says Sefer Haredim, is the meaning of bitchu boy b'chol eight. Trust him, says King Solomon in his wisdom, in every time. Every time is not necessarily the performance of a mitzvah. I could be grooming, I could be eating, I could be engaged in recreation. But at all times, I'm trusting him. Betach Hashem b'chol libcha. Trust God wholeheartedly. My dear friends, if it's a mitzvah, yes, we can do this. God has to have empowered us to do this because, because he can't make demands of us that we can't fulfill. So this is the good news. The good news is, I'm sure it's a mitzvah. <laughs> the news that maybe you don't want to hear is, you need to work really hard on doing this mitzvah. But the good news is, that's what we're doing in this series. We are going to learn how to perform this mitzvah. We're going to learn how to maximize the potential, the power and ability that God has given us. And I just want to conclude with a, one more proof in the pudding. And that is that in the book called Sefer Mitzvahs Koton, the small book of mitzvahs, where Rabbeinu Yitzchak Mikorbil, the great Tosafist, divided mitzvahs for every day, he calls the, the tenth mitzvah of the positive mitzvahs, and I read, Lihiyot Tamim. Tamim Tiyel Meshem He says, This is the mitzvah. It is clearly a mitzvah. So we have Smak, we have Ramban, we have Rabbeinu Yona, we have the Sefer Haredim, clearly saying it's a mitzvah. And it seems the Shara Betochen believed so too. In conclusion, there is a fascinating mimer that I've come across. And we'll be talking about this because it's a, an extraordinary, illuminating Hasidic teaching from the fourth Rebbe of the Lubavitch dynasty, the Rebbe Maharash. But I, I want to reference just one detail of what he says. He says that on a mystical level, the meaning of Tov Lachasot Bahashem, it is good to take cover in God, Mi Ma'adam, than to rely on people on a deeper sense. Tells the Rebbe, the Rebbe Marash, quoting the Alter Rebbe in Lakutatera, he says, Chesoyin Bahashem, trusting in Hashem, is better than than relying on this proverbial heavenly realm. In other words, don't rely on angels. Rely on God and God Himself. This morning, somebody asked me, why is it that the parents of Samson wanted to know the name of the angel? And he says, ah, that's irrelevant. Don't ask my name. Upeli, it's uh, beyond you. It's a wonder. What's wrong with knowing the name of the angel? You know, sometimes you call the call center and you're speaking to a person and say, what's your name? Because if you have a name, you could say, well, so-and-so said so. Never mind, he might be sitting an ocean away and doesn't have an idea of what he's talking about. So-and-so said it. What's your name? person going to have to take responsibility. The angel says, what do you ask my name for? It's not relevant. I am but a messenger of Hashem. My dear friends, trust no one but Hashem. Don't trust the occult. Don't trust the idols. Don't trust the horoscope, the astronomers. Don't trust statistics. Don't trust what Proverbially speaking, the wise people of the day are saying, whether they say statistics don't lie or this is a scientific fact, we trust Hashem. I conclude with this. Statistically, our survival makes no sense. We shouldn't be here anymore. Rationally, performing a mitzvah will not make a difference. Becoming stronger Jews isn't going to beat back the ugly anti-Semitism that's expressing itself just about everywhere these days. But then again, I trust in Hashem. We're here today not because of an army, bombs, or tanks, not because of political might or power. We're here today 
Because Hashem ordained that we be here forever. Trust in Hashem. Trust in Hashem on a national level. Trust in Hashem on a personal level. And if we trust in Hashem, and if we learn to live with certainty and to place all of our needs in God's hands, then we will be creating an extraordinary mechanism and vehicle to actualize those blessings and teiv hanira v'hanigla in a good that we can see, taste, feel and touch. And hopefully, as we strengthen our betochen, our security and our trust in Hashem, we'll be strengthening our faith in Hashem's salvation and that will bring us the coming of Mashiach, the Mheda, will be Amenu, speedily. And in our days, Amen. Thank you so much for joining. See you back tomorrow at 1. Have a beautiful day.